0: Welcome to the Come, Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come, Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Good morning. I've entitled my discussion with you today, but for Joseph... Which is appropriate because, as President Merrill Bateman has mentioned, this is the day that each year, the 27th of June, we commemorate the, the end of the Prophet Joseph Smith's earth, earthly mission. However, let me preface my remarks with just a little background information. First, I must say that I will never again complain about being given an assigned topic for a talk. Any restrictiveness is far outweighed by the feeling of having the entire universe of gospel subjects laid out before you. When I heard the date of the devotional, I knew that the Prophet Joseph would be a part of what I would address today, most likely is an excellent example of qualities we should cultivate in our lives. However, since I am not a Church historian, I did not plan to have him be the topic. But I am a convert to the religion Joseph Smith restored, and today I will be speaking unabashedly about that conversion. If you are not a Latter-day Saint and you are listening today, I invite you to listen with an open mind and heart. It is that first-hand journey from the prophet being an example to the entire focus of this talk that I will try to describe to you today. For as I researched and read, interviewed, and soul-searched, My testimony of the Prophet Joseph has moved from the factual to the very, very personal. So instead of discussing in a general way, But for Joseph, how different would the world be? I have asked myself, and I am asking you to consider now, But for Joseph, how different would my life be? I first heard the name Joseph Smith during the summer after my sophomore year in high school. I had attended a conference with a group of teenage girls, and we were returning from Galveston to our homes in El Paso, Texas. It was a long bus ride, and I think more to preserve our chaperone sanity than to give us an educational experience, we stopped in San Antonio, where the Hemisphere, an event akin to the World's Fair, was being held. The adults turned us loose for several hours to visit the various pavilions, and my group of six soon found its way to one entitled Man's Search for Happiness. When we discovered we had accidentally stumbled into a religious presentation, we tried to exit the side door, but those clever missionaries had locked it. (laughs) We were stuck, so we feigned attention for a while until the audience moved into the next room and we could escape through some unlocked doors. When we boarded the bus later that afternoon for what was still a long ride home, I noticed that the only piece of reading material I had managed to hold on to Not coincidentally, I believe now, during our dash through the fair, was a pamphlet with Joseph Smith's picture on the front. I read through it, really motivated only by a need to pass the time, and mentally categorized it as curious. The following spring in my American history class, I was searching for an engaging topic for a term paper. It was a time when newspaper headlines spoke of civil rights and legally atoning for past injustices. I would have preferred to do a paper on current events and discrimination against groups the majority labeled as different, but it was a history class. And so as I looked at a timeline of the 1800s in one of the reference books, the persecutions against the Mormons captured my attention. I chose to take an objective, which turned out really to be more of a sympathetic look back at the events that forced this peculiar religious group westward. The name, Joseph Smith, turned up again as I researched the topic in history books and encyclopedias. Over the years, when someone has asked me about my conversion, I have always been excited to share it, but I have not typically included these previous two experiences. My story usually begins with the events that immediately preceded my hearing the missionary lessons. I think I have discounted these other two events because of my resistance to the message in the first instance and my my factual, even sterile, approach in the second. I feel very differently today. I am convinced that these incidents provided background for my later acceptance of the gospel, an introduction to the concept of a recent prophet, and a factual placement of events in time. Without this context, I feel I would not have been sufficiently primed to accept relatively quickly the missionary's message about what god revealed to a 14-year-old boy in the spring of 1820 i believe these were purport- preparatory steps and the lord who knew me well was customizing my instruction for about 2 years prior to that evening when i had sat in the when i sat in the living room and listened to the missionaries present the, that first discussion i had been on what i called then and still call a spiritual quest I would grown up in a family that valued Christian ideals such as honesty, fair treatment of others, and kindness, but I did not have a spiritual dimension in my life, and I longed for one. I felt a growing urgency, a need to fix my mind and heart on the divine, so I began to study about and visit different churches each week. I approached each new introduction to the members of a congregation and the denomination's beliefs and doctrine very optimistically. I thought perhaps this one would be my home. I didn't understand it at the time, but I had a two-part screening system in place that I used. I would first, as I visited the, the Church, try to take a spiritual reading, kind of a check on how I was feeling. I didn't term it the Spirit, but I know that's what I was seeking. Early in the visit I would do that, and then I would turn to the doctrinal aspects and questions about the true purpose of life, the hereafter, and how these affected the way we lived right now. None of the churches I visited passed even the first part of my test, and I was getting very discouraged. So back to that evening in 1970. After a brief discussion of the apostasy, the missionaries reverently explained the restoration of, brought about by Joseph the prophet. They presented it in some detail, and I recognized that curious story I had read quickly about in the pamphlet two years earlier. I have to admit, I felt my initial optimism that this church could be my spiritual destination slip away, and the doubts came crowding into my mind. Did they actually believe that God had appeared to someone in just that last century? And to a boy younger than me, rather than a wise, aged prophet? While I formed my questions, the missionaries moved on to a flannel board presentation, maybe some of you will remember, with circles and lines that depicted the plan of salvation. Before long, I felt that their explanation was somehow familiar to me, and they did have my full attention. I was certain that they were speaking the truth in this part of their presentation, and I felt some of my hope return. As the missionaries were leaving, they scheduled our next appointment, and then they handed me a copy of the Joseph Smith story. They asked me to commit to read it carefully and pray about it, and I agreed to do so. Later that night, my roller coaster of emotions hit a low point. As I thought back on all I had heard and felt during the evening and weighed the positives and negatives in my mind, I believed that I would cancel the next appointment I had set. But first I decided to keep my promise to the missionaries. After I had read the prophet's narrative of the first vision and beyond, I offered up an awkward, very short prayer. Sleep came quickly, so I was not left to ponder the message for long. The next morning, as I knelt, I found that the Spirit had eased my doubts about Joseph Smith's account and confirmed the truths of which he testified. I kept the appointment with the sister missionaries, and that decision has made all the difference in my life. But for Joseph, I would not have found my spiritual home in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. At the time, that level of understanding and testimony was sufficient for me to go forth with my study, baptism, and confirmation. When the Lord told the members of His newly formed Church, for, this, for His word ye shall receive, as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith, He was most likely admonishing some whose faith was at such an early stage as mine was at the time. Patience and faith are essential elements in the development of our testimonies. But our progression must be accelerated in these, the latter days. After visiting the Sacred Grove on one occasion, President Gordon B. Hinckley remarked that he has an ever-growing compulsion to bear testimony of the divinity of the Lord and of the mission of the Prophet Joseph Smith. He emphasized, I think this world needs this more than any other thing. Preparing this talk has forced me, and I am grateful for it, to assess the testimony I began to build 30 years ago of the Prophet Joseph and the eternal truths he restored. I know that this initial and essential conviction has been strengthened by study, prayer, and life's experience, but I will admit to you today I needed to draw closer, to look deeper at his mission. Brother Joseph served as a divine conduit in bringing to light marvelous and precious truths. In his eyewitness account of the martyrdom, President John Taylor sums up Joseph's contribution. Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. He has left a fame and name that cannot be slain. He lived great, and he died great, in the eyes of God and His people. And like most of the Lord's anointed in ancient times— has sealed his mission and his works with his own blood. In the space of approximately 24 years, Brother Joseph accomplished much that has eternal, historical, and personal implications for each of us. As I attempt to list the contributions and the ways each has particular meaning in my life, I encourage you to make your own list. Number 1. Joseph Smith opened up communication with the heavens. Because he was willing to ask God directly, the prophet Joseph and each of us through him learned eternal truths about the nature of God and the current status of God's kingdom on earth. He learned that the forces of the adversary are real, and they combat all that is righteous and pure. Joseph also learned that the Father and the resurrected Lord are separate beings that knew him and spoke to him by way of instruction. He learned that none of the churches on the earth at that time had the truth, and he should join none of them. In his book, Here We Stand, Joseph Fielding McConkie underscores the personal implications the First Vision holds for each of us. He says, quote, The way we answer questions about our faith ought to be by finding the quickest and most direct route to the sacred grove. That is our ground. It is sacred ground. It is where the heavens are opened and the God of heaven speaks. It is where testimonies are born and the greatest truths of heaven are unveiled." Close quote. But for the Prophet Joseph's experience in the sacred grove, I would not have an understanding of the loving nature of God and my literal claim to divine heritage described in Doctrine and Covenants 25.1. All those who receive my gospel are sons and daughters in my kingdom. The God I had learned about before I accepted the gospel was removed, ever-judging, and powerful. However, I had an experience as a young child that was not consistent with this unapproachable image of deity. At that time, I was living in rural Arkansas. Because I had no brothers or sisters, I had adopted an agreeable farm dog as my constant companion. One afternoon, as we were walking home along a single-lane road, she was struck and killed by a truck as I looked on. That night, as I tried to fall asleep, my grief overwhelmed me. Before long, that grief turned into fear that I too suddenly might die. No one was near enough in the house that night to console me, so I offered up a prayer, and my pleading was heard. I felt encircled by warm, loving arms and instinctively knew I was being comforted by my father, as the missionaries explained the nature of a loving Heavenly Father who answered young Joseph Smith's prayer, my experience 13 years earlier came immediately to my mind and validated their words. Number two, Joseph Smith translated ancient scripture and recorded modern day revelation. Brother Joseph's unceasing efforts, along with his scribes, resulted in the translation of the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ and in the Pearl of Great Price, and the publication of the Doctrine and Covenants. For just a moment, can you imagine your life without the precepts, the images, and the understanding that the Book of Mormon lends? We know, we've been told, that the Book of Mormon is the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion, and a man can get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. But for Joseph, we would not have this book of Scripture— Think how limited our understanding would be if we did not have Father Lehi's vision of the Tree of Life. We would feel such loss if we didn't have the opportunity to know Nephi, Alma, Moroni, and so many others through their own words. How incomplete our view of the Savior's ministry would be if we did not have at our fingertips the tender account in Third Nephi of him with his other sheep in America— and how lacking our understanding would be without the accounts recorded in the books of Moses and Abraham of the creation. Without the intensive instruction in Church history and covenant-making and keeping in the Doctrine and Covenants, would we be able to truly appreciate the legacy of our faith's past and be prepared to serve in the kingdom? Number three. Through his persistent and resilient efforts, Joseph Smith brought about are brought people to their Savior, Jesus Christ. In this dispensation, the Prophet Joseph literally brought heaven closer to earth as he lifted the darkness of apostasy, banished it, and brought to light the Savior's plain and precious doctrine. He was the chosen instrument of the Lord, who was called both to distinguish the true restored Church from other denominations and to bring forth the power and purity of Christ's true doctrines. Joseph F. Smith stated in Mormon Doctrine, I believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ because more than ever I come near the possession of the actual knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, through the testimony of of Joseph Smith. He today stands before the world as the last great actual living witness of the divinity of Christ's mission and His power to redeem man from temporal death and also from the second death. Thank God for Joseph Smith. Thus, Brother Joseph provided the need- needed linkage to the Savior, who as the great mediator connects us to the Father. Indeed, Joseph taught that every principle of the gospel is an appendage to the Atonement. But for Joseph, my understanding of the Atonement still would be theoretical and abstract. I would not have the information that tells me that the sa- Savior's sacrifice was Yes, infinite and all-encompassing, but also, most specifically, for me. Understanding the personal nature and application of the Atonement allows me to know that, after all I can do, my Savior and Redeemer, in His mercy, can complete my circle of repentance and growth and lift my soul. He can and He has changed my heart when no amount of study— willpower, or well-intended advice can affect my need. I am thankful to know that this greatest of gifts can make me, in spite of my many weaknesses, more fit for his service. Number four, Joseph Smith established the kingdom of God on earth today. Under divine tutelage, Brother Joseph organized the Church. He directed the, the construction of the Kirtland and Nauvoo temples and restored the ordinances of the House of the Lord for the benefit of individuals and families. He was ordained to the Holy Priesthood, and through him its powers and blessings were restored to the earth. Joseph saw that missionaries were sent forth to take the gospel not only to surrounding areas, but also into Europe and the Isles of the Sea. He established the Relief Society for the sisters that they might have the opportunities to extend charity to those in need and to save souls. But for Joseph— I could not be a participant in the building of the kingdom of God today. Without the fellowship of my brothers and sisters in the gospel, I would not be strengthened and sustained as I am so often. Since my baptism, I have not had very many occasions when I was unable to associate with the saints, and then it was only for a short time. But how I missed their kind counsel and their spirit-to-spirit communication with me. I simply cannot imagine my life Without the re- the refuge and the perspective of the temple, if the sacred ordinances that are performed therein were not on the earth today, I would not have an understanding of the eternal marriage of eternal marriage that stands firm in the face of trials and challenges and Lynn's perspective, eternal perspective. Our son Brandt and his wife Lori currently have the privilege of serving in the Washington D.C. Temple. He recently wrote in an email. Last night I was, was our night to work in the temple, and while I was officiating, I heard myself speaking the incredible blessings that are promised and was overwhelmed by the great mercy and love that our Father shows us by extending those blessings to us and giving me the opportunity to help pronounce those blessings upon others who are anxiously awaiting them on both sides of the veil. What a wonderful blessing it is to live with the fullness of the gospel— the fullness of the priesthood, and the fullness of the blessings of our Savior's atonement here and waiting for all. I, too, marvel with Brant at the blessings that are ours because temples are now among us. In a little over a month, our son Micah will be sealed for time and all eternity to a beautiful daughter of God in the Lord's house. All of our sons and two daughters they have added to our family and other loved ones will witness that all-important moment in in eternity. As you can probably tell, my heart nearly bursts with gratitude just thinking about it today. But for Joseph, those priesthood keys could not be exercised in our behalf. Without the priesthood and a husband worthy and willing to call down blessings of comfort, healing, and strength upon our family, the world's three Ds, which are distraction— discouragement, and despair would never be far away from our door. And without the selfless sacrifice of missionary work, I literally would not be with you today. In addition, my husband and sons would never have had the privilege of seeking out and bringing into the fold people who at first appeared so different in language and custom, but soon became quite literally their brothers and sisters. Recently, our oldest son, Travis, traveled to Florida to be at Miami International Airport when Elder Franklin Tavares returned from his mission in Michigan. When he was serving in the Fort Lauderdale mission, Travis had had the privilege of baptizing Frankie when he was just a young teenager. How I wish I could have witnessed the embrace that they shared as brothers and fellow missionaries upon Frankie's arrival. Our missionary son, Taylor, who is completing his mission in Chile next month, recently shared his testimony with us in a letter. He wrote, I know this work is true. I know that the standard of truth has been erected. I feel the power of the priesthood when I humbly use it. I know that Jesus is our Savior. I will forever be grateful for the gospel in my life and will forever defend the truth and this, the Lord's Church. Having the privilege to serve full-time— and never-ending missions, which we are all about, that bring souls into Christ through the gospel that Joseph restored is the sweetest work to which we can devote ourselves. But for Joseph, the Relief Society would not have been divinely organized. I love this organization and the privilege it affords me to serve with the amazing, exceptional sisters of the Church. But that's another talk for another day. And by the way, I'm not offering, but just mention that. <laughs> But let me just say, when jo- when Joseph told his beloved Emma, and the sisters gathered there, that he turned the key in their behalf, under the direction of the priesthood of God, Heavenly Father, at that moment provided a structure for the daughters to have firsthand experience with both extending and receiving Christ-like service. Thus, we are all eternally indebted to the Prophet Joseph Smith. But how can we demonstrate that gratitude? Let me suggest three ways. Number one, we can seek to honor and love Brother Joseph as we learn more of his life and his mission. After spending this time researching the prophet, I realized that I didn't know enough about him as an individual. The first quality that comes to my mind now when I think of him is humility. Joseph, in, Joseph, from his earnest appeal in the grove to his nobility at at Liberty Jail and in the jail at Carthage also, set aside all pride and sublimated his will to the Father and to his work. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis describes a humble man, not as someone with downcast eyes who is always underrepresenting his worth and contribution. Rather, he says, if you were to meet a humble man, quote, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Close quote. And the prophet did enjoy life. President Joseph F. Smith described Joseph by saying, Oh, he was full of joy. He was full of gladness. He was full of love. And while he could play with children and amuse himself at simple, innocent games among men, he also communed with the Father and the Son and spoke with angels. And they visited him and conferred blessings and gifts and keys of power upon him. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to spend time with this man, this prophet? Think about it. I believe that we would each have loved him in a very personal way. President Brigham Young expressed his feelings for Joseph by stating enthusiastif- enthusiastically, I feel like shouting hallelujah all the time when I think that I ever knew Joseph, the prophet whom the Lord raised up and ordained and to whom he gave keys and power to build up the kingdom of God on earth and to sustain it. The prophet's nephew, Joseph F. President Joseph F. Smith, also once stated, For Joseph Smith's name is spoken of for good. They revere him, and they love him, as they love no other man. President Gordon B. Hinckley has summed up his feelings for the prophet by simply exclaiming, I love the prophet Joseph Smith. I love the prophet Joseph Smith. Brothers and sisters, I can now join these brethren and say, I love this man, this prophet. The second way. We can show our gratitude. We can bear testimony of Joseph Smith's crucial role in this dispensation. Joseph reminded all members of the Church, When you joined this Church, you enlisted to serve God. When you did did that, you left neutral ground, and you never can get back to it. Our testimonies cannot be generic. They cannot be neutral, especially on the subject of the life and mission of the Prophet. We are instructed in Doctrine and Covenants 31 4, you shall declare the things which have been revealed to my servant Joseph Smith. And we should never testify of revelations without acknowledging the Revelator. Brother Brigham's logic on this point was pretty straight, pretty straightforward and profound. If Jesus lives and is the Savior of the world, Joseph Smith is a prophet of God and lives in the bosom of his father Abraham. Though they have killed his body, yet he lives, and beholds the face of his Father in heaven, and his garments are pure as the angels that surround the throne of God. And no man on the earth can say that Jesus lives, and deny at the same time my assertion about the prophet Joseph. In the 122nd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord tells Joseph, The ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, and fools shall have thee in derision. And hell shall rage against thee, while the pure in heart and the wise and the noble and the virtuous shall seek counsel and authority and blessings constantly from under thy hand. And in the sixth section the Lord admonishes us, Therefore be diligent, stand by my servant Joseph faithfully, in whatsoever difficult circumstances he may be for the word's sake." may we demonstrate by the testimonies we bear that we are diligently standing by Joseph and can be counted on among those who revere his name and his essential role. A third way that we can show our gratitude, we can serve continuously and faithfully in building the kingdom. In the lectures on faith, Joseph charged us to live as he had— Let us here observe that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation, for from the first existence of man the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things. In the Church we experience different seasons of service. In each of our callings we have the opportunity to sacrifice more of ourselves— than we ever have before. We honor Joseph by serving well, literally consecrating our efforts and our time in doing that which no one else can do at that time and in that place to serve the Master. As I close today, I want to thank those two sister missionaries and their state counterparts who 30 years ago challenged me to read and pray about the Prophet Joseph's story. I am also immensely grateful to those who, in recent months, have helped me know Joseph as a man and a foreordained prophet. My family and friends have expressed unwavering support and encouragement—and if you ask my husband today, he'll tell you it hasn't been easy. At a moment of despair when a significant part of my text for this talk had somehow evaporated into cyberspace—have you ever had that happen? Heidi Swinton, who wrote last year's amazing production, An American Prophet, I hope you've seen that, took time she didn't have to lend me perspective. I also greatly appreciate Liz Lemon Swindle, the gifted artist who has brought Joseph closer to our hearts through her paintings, and today has allowed me to share some of them with you. On this occasion, we are gathered here as saints in a building that bears the Prophet's name, because of what happened in that sacred grove. And on this anniversary of the martyrdom, I join with President Hinckley in reminding us the accomplishments of the life of the Prophet Joseph will never be blurred. The testimony of Joseph lives on. Now, my brothers and sisters, most of you will not be asked to make such sacrifices or to respond to such calls, but what you do with your lives as you live them from day to day is no less important. Whatever our present calling or opportunity, may we carry on his work. By so doing, we honor Joseph's memory and bring glory to our Savior and our Father in Heaven. Brothers and sisters, I challenge all of us, at whatever level we may be, even if we are early in our journey of faith— to deepen our understanding of Brother Joseph and his divine mission, to acknowledge before our Father and all who will listen that but for the prophet's role in this dispensation our lives would be barren and our hope would fail us. I speak from personal experience when I say to you that this new level of testimony and seeking it will not come easily. The adversary will attempt to block your progress. It will require a letting go of pride and the things of this world that constantly confuse and distract us. You will need to make a higher level of commitment to the work the prophet died to further. But all the effort is worth it, and it is essential that you and I commit ourselves to it. For me, the strengthening of my testimony of the prophet Joseph seemed to come together in a single moment. All of the historical and spiritual pieces— fell into place one evening as I read the simple, direct statement of the Lord to His prophet, His beloved servant Joseph Smith, and to each of us. It is found in Doctrine and Covenants 510. But this generation shall have my word through you. I can now testify with a conviction born of love for Brother Joseph and an inexpressible gratitude, for I have glimpsed just a little of the faith he exercised, the love he extended, the sacrifices he he made. And I know that he, Joseph Smith, is a prophet of God. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches,